Okay, everybody, grab some cake. What kind of cake is this? That's that red, red velvet. Ooh. So grab some cake. I'm going to invite Karen up to talk about her mission trip. Karen took off for India a couple of weeks ago. We prayed for her, and uh, it was quite a journey. And we knew that it would be. We prayed for the challenges that would come. And uh, as soon as you guys go up and grab a seat here, we're going to be on, by the way, Ecclesiastes 8, verse 6, when you get to that. Open your Bibles to Ecclesiastes 8, verse 6. As soon as we get a quorum here, we're going to have Karen tell you what what happened on this trip. It was a real challenging trip, and a whole bunch of things happened on the way. And uh, Karen is a medical missionary, by the way, and she would love to have some of you guys come with her sometimes. I know that Heather's thinking about it, and uh, Sean's thinking about it, some others are thinking about it. So, But you don't have to be a nurse to come along. You really don't. There's all kinds of things for people to do. So Karen, tell us, uh, tell us where you saw the Lord at work in this in this trip and uh, and what came out of it. Good morning. This was probably well. I've been doing this for about ten years now, and this probably was the hardest trip I've been on. Um, one of the things you have to be careful what you pray for, because you will get it. And one of the things I prayed for before I left and while I was gone was to show me what God, what breaks your heart, help it break mine, so that I can I can really interject your love into everybody and everything that I do and well he answered it very well Um, so we went to Jodhpur which I've never been to in India and the first four kids that we saw were orphans and their mom their father left and their mom left them on the roadside and they were about five years old to eight years old and so you know you just you see these kids but they're very happy because they're in an orphanage and they are not on the street anymore so clearly God sent that message immediately to me. When we got to Jodhpur, we didn't have our supply bag. It didn't make it from Bangalore to Jodhpur, so we had no supplies. So I text house, and I text a bunch of my friends, please pray. So in other words, God also taught me that it isn't so much to pray for things and want to get them, but it's to pray for the wisdom and what he's doing in it. And that was a real lesson for me. So he was very busy teaching me while I was out there struggling in India. And it really showed me that what he provided for us was half of what we had packed. And yet when we left Jodhpur to go to Bangalore, we had extra. So it was the two fish, five loaves, which I always pray about anyway. Yeah, so he just was kind of really checking in, letting me know. Mission trips, sometimes I think maybe I should kick back a little bit and, and you know, ease off a little bit because I try to do two to three trips a year, and I guess that wasn't his plan. So he, he did a lot of lessons for me, but a lot of prayers. If you can't go on a trip, I ask you, please, just pray for missions because it really is difficult out there. Now, I only go for 10 days. People live out there, and they do it as a living. So please pray for them. Let's give the Lord a hand for what he did with Karen. And uh, we're so blessed to have you. We, our hearts go with you every time you go, and I'm hoping that a lot of us can take part in those trips. And also Bud. Bud is in Africa right now, and because of Bud's ministry, a village that had no education is now graduating college students, and he's been sticking with that for a couple decades now. And those students are coming back to the village to increase the level of knowledge in the village, which is just amazing. He's working with a local church to make that happen. And it has been incredible. Well, my name is Dave Householder, and I'm the birthday boy with this velvet cake up here, which is going to be tempting me the whole time I'm teaching. But we are finishing up Brain and Bible, which is a sermon series on 
Jordan Peterson's book, 12 Rules for Life, and he's one of the most prominent Bible teachers around right now, and you can actually look at his Bible teaching on YouTube, and he's also a clinical psychologist, and he's a bit of a workaholic, and for about 20 years, he took 150 years of psychoanalytic and counseling uh, results and came up with the 42 insights that are the biggest insights from that process from a biblical, theological, psychological perspective. That's why he called it Brain and Bible. And uh, came up with 42 rules, and then he had people vote on them, and they came up with 12, the 12 top ones. And these 12 top ones then became the book. He's got another book coming out called 12 More Rules for Life, the next 12 of the 42. But very much strongly encourage you to look at this book and get it online and uh, Pay attention to it because there's great stuff in there, and it's not stuff you've heard before. I'm going to start with a picture which grabbed my heart. Uh, this is Tamara's dad, and this is in their home. They've got a hospital bed there, and this is Everett, and you may know Everett. He's our youngest church guy here at the well, and Everett is leaning on Poppy there, but I want you to notice not so much Everett, but the smile on Poppy's face. As Tamara said, uh, Poppy was going through the fight of his life here, and he definitely wanted to stay alive. He was the kind of person who wanted to go home and work with the chickens and get up on the roof and climb the ladder and do all that stuff. And he loved life. And his life was ebbing away in his 90s, which happens. I mean, 90 is 20 years over the biblical warranty, three score and 10. You know, that's, that's up there. That's, uh, he's lived a really full life. And he wanted to keep living. And so this, he was fighting to stay alive every time he went to the hospital, and there were many times he was going to the hospital. But in the midst of fighting for his life, look at the smile on his face when he notices Everett. That's what this message is all going to be about. This touched my heart more than any other picture since day of a picture of you with your mom in the hospital. That was just a beautiful picture of faithfulness and just being there for her. Sometimes pictures speak a, a thousand words, but look at the smile. On Poppy's face. Today is rule number 12 from 12 Rules of Life, which has to do with the smile on Poppy's face, which has to do with Jesus showing up in our mission trips, but also in our daily lives and where we can find Jesus at work. And the title of this message is Pet a Cat When You See It on the Street. Now, for those of you dog people, it works just as well for dogs. So uh, if you're a dog person or a cat person, if you're a flower person, smell the flowers you see, pet the cat that shows up on the street. Uh, very often you can't pet the dogs because they're tied up, but cats find ways of showing up on the sidewalk and walking up to you and uh, nuzzling their, their heads against your ankle and all that kind of stuff and paying attention to the little things God gives us when we are in the struggles of our lives. Now, you may not be fighting for your life like Poppy was, but unless you're not paying attention, you're going through challenges. You're going through struggles in your life. And we need to make sure that we look at what the Bible says about how to cope with those struggles and how to be victorious in those struggles as we were singing this morning. I thought Jessica's music was so perfect. This is how we fight our battles as Christians. This is how we respond to challenges. So a quick, quick review, since we've gone through the all 12 rules of life. Number one, let's read it out loud. Stand up straight with your shoulders back. The Bible says walk into the Lord's throne room with confidence. And to, to walk into a room like you belong there. Live your life with assertive faith. Treat yourself 
like someone you are responsible for helping. Number two, we often take better care of other people than we do for ourselves. And to make sure that we, when we love our neighbor as ourselves, we're also loving ourselves and taking care of ourselves. If you were responsible for taking care of yourself, would you be doing the things that you're doing? Number three, let's read it out loud. Make friends with people who want the best for you. And God keeps putting those people in our paths, people that are fans of yours, people who want to see you do well, people who want you to succeed. Number four, compare yourself to who you were yesterday, not to who someone else is today. The comparison game is a sure recipe for depression because we live in California where there's always someone better looking, there's always someone richer, someone more successful. And if you start comparing yourself to other people rather than to who you were yesterday, you can run into all kinds of problems, coveting, jealousy, all that. Let's read number five out loud together. Do not let your children do anything that makes you dislike them. It's a tough world out there. And when our kids do things that are unattractive socially, it's important that we are a little firm with those things. And that we make sure that we don't let them go out into the world doing those things because we want people to like them. Number six, set your house in perfect order before you criticize someone else. In other words, go home and make your bed and clean your room. Then go protest somewhere. Uh, you know, just make sure that you've got your act together. All kinds of terrible things happen when people whose lives are not in order get involved in social action as a way of sort of compensating for the fact that their lives are not together. And a lot of damage can come from that. Number seven, let's read that out loud. Pursue what is meaningful, not what is expedient. Don't just go after those things which are easiest to do. Do those things that really matter in the long run. Sometimes the things that are important get neglected because we go after things that are urgent and we need to do really quickly. We never get around to the Bible reading, the prayer, the things that we need to be doing that are meaningful. Number eight, tell the truth or at least don't lie. And why does he say that? Because it's pretty much impossible as a limited human being to even know the truth, let alone tell the truth all the time. We do our best. We do our best. But we can stop lying. That's something which is reachable. That's attainable. In fact, the Bible tells us that every time we're about to, our conscience kicks in and we have a chance not to do it. It's not like you're forced to lie. There's always a, a slide or an exit ramp out of there. There's always a way to keep from lying, and we can stop lying and then grow in our understanding of the truth. But starting not with truth, but starting with stopping lying and then moving towards growing in the truth. Number nine, let's read that out loud. Assume that the person you are talking to might know something that you don't. The idea that we know everything is highly problematic, and almost everybody we talk to has something helpful for us. Number 10, which has been the most quoted phrase from the series here at the well. Uh, anytime somebody says something kind of squirrely, somebody says, be precise in your speech. So th this is, uh, be more clear in what you say. Let your yes be yes, your no be no, less is more, and uh, be clear about how you communicate with people. Number 11, let's read that out loud. Don't bother children when they are escaping. Let kids do things that are a little bit dangerous. Folks, it's not that we want our kids just to be safe all the time and protected. We want them to be strong. It's a tough world out there. 
And we want them to, to have enough freedom to develop the strength they need to face the challenges. If you bubble wrap your kids and they go off to the world, they're going to be lost. Letting kids be kids. And then this week, pet a cat when you encounter one on the street. So we have Everett and Poppy here. How to face the cascade of catastrophes of life as a Christian. What is a faith-filled response to the catastrophes of life? And some of those catastrophes are global. Some of you don't remember the last century. I do. The last century was the century of the angel of death. Uh, we mechanized and industrialized war during the last century. And we were able to just mow people down. And people died by the millions in the last century. And it's just really, really nasty stuff. The Jews, Ukrainians, Cambodians, Armenians, Rwandans, Serbs, Bosnian Muslims, not to mention the millions of people in China that were killed by their own people, by Mao and the, and the Great Leap Forward, they called it, which was a Great Leap Backward. A whole bunch of stuff happened. And every time you watch the news, there's a school shooting and there's this and there's that. And there's all these things happening out there on a global scale. But it's not just the external stuff. It's the internal stuff, not just global stuff out there that's a catastrophe. Our lives can be like a cascading challenge. Who here has had a month? that felt like a cascading malfunction, where one thing just led to another. It just it, You had one thing that led to another thing that led to another thing that led to another thing. You were a little bit tired, so you got sick, you got sick, you lost your job, you lost your job, you got broke, you got broke. It, it, things happen like that. Psychologists tell us that there are the big four. There's lots of challenges, but everybody faces the big four. And the big four are up here on the screen. Number one is relational. Loneliness or conflict. Not getting along with people. Having those people you just saw at Thanksgiving dinner that you don't want to sit with. There's always that weird uncle that you end up sitting with at Thanksgiving, you know, and the person you don't get along with. And if you don't have conflict with people, you're not paying attention or you're just a hermit. Who thinks Jesus was a pretty good guy? Who thinks he had conflict with people? All the time. It came at him. And if you're a relational person, you get out in the world, you're going to have Conflict with people. It's going to happen. Yeah, just don't talk about politics and, uh, <coughs> or Ohio State football. But uh, And loneliness, folks, we live in a world where we're really busy and we have lots of people we do things with, but we still struggle with loneliness and depression and anxiety and all of those things. I know a lot of people who tell me I don't have any really good friends, they tell me. Red ink. And if you're not looking at red ink in your finances, it's always right around the corner. Here's the problem with money. Your money always wants to be with someone else. It's not a faithful friend. It's, 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 it, especially this time of the year, your money just jumps out of your pocket and goes all over the place. It's just, it's just your money wants to be with someone else. And you might be in the black right now, but red ink is waiting around the corner. I saw a bumper sticker once, I owe, I owe, so off to work I go, because the red ink is right around the corner. And a lot of us have mortgages, and we've got all these things we're paying for. You've got to keep working to pay off these things, and you're hoping to do the big retirement equation somehow, that somehow you'll be able to do that. Weakness, illness, injury. Wendy and I went on a three-and-a-half-mile hike on 
Friday for my birthday that turned into a five-and-a-half-mile hike. You ever notice that the instructions on a hike are never that clear? And you end up going a little bit different, and you end up, you know, that's how it happens. And I'm still sore. 30 years ago, I wouldn't have been sore after that after that hike. But things start to happen. We, Tamara was looking for readers there for a little while. And she's young, you know, so it happens. Your body starts to disappoint you from time to time. Some of you have been avoiding the scales since Thursday. I mean, there's... I have not stepped on the scale since Thursday. I'm going to wait till this wears off. I'm sure it will eventually. Weakness, illness, injury. It could happen. And aimlessness in your vocation. Feeling like you're missing the boat. Am I really spending my days like I should be spending? Now, when someone like Karen gets up here or Bud gets up here and they talk about these things they're doing, you start to think, well, am I really doing anything? And we start to think, is what I'm doing important? Is what I'm doing mattering? How come people aren't paying me for it? You know, all of that stuff. So these are the big four, relational, financial, physical, and vocational. And if you're not struggling with these, you're not paying attention. One of the, one of the um, promises in the Bible that we don't like to read is, in this world you will have tribulation. Could have courage, for I have overcome the world. We're going to talk about how to do that today. This is how we fight our battles. So Ecclesiastes 8.6, we're going to do a very deep study on one verse. The whole book of Ecclesiastes is how to deal with the fact that life is hard. How to find joy in a challenging life. How to look for those little things that give us joy, that show us God is at work, even when things are challenging. My wife woke up this morning, I asked her how she's doing, and she's a little sick to the stomach. Then I caught her over here taking a picture of a flower. You know how cool it is to have flowers in December? We live in California. It's pretty cool. This is not happening in Minnesota. I just saw the picture from Jessica of 13 inches of snow at her parents' house, and they've got this little ruler up there that they measure the snow with, and it's covered. You know, That's bad, really bad. But we've got flowers, and what he's noticing in the midst of not feeling great, this beautiful little flower that's perfect, and she'll show you the picture. Well, the flowers, exactly. And she knows how to see the beauty in those things. Folks, I need to tell you something very simple. Jesus shows up for all of us several times a day. What do, what do I mean by Jesus? Well, I didn't see Jesus walking up. Jesus is the incarnation, the living example of where the spiritual meets the physical, right? True God and true man. We have those little Jesus moments where the spiritual meets the physical in our world like the flower all the time. Those are Jesus moments. Holy communion is Jesus moments. It's bread and the cup. But we expect Jesus to be present in that. And those are Jesus moments. And to notice, this is the big word, notice. Write this in your notes. The word notice is the main message for today. To notice when Jesus shows up. To pay attention to those moments of beauty that bring us through the struggles of life. And Jesus gives them to us all the time. They're always there, but sometimes we miss them. In our prayer meeting this morning, I remembered, and Linda says, make sure you mention that in the message. So, 
in your booklet you got, maybe you don't get booklets anymore, maybe it's online, but I used to get a little booklet for my driver's test. Remember the booklet you had to study for the written test? The written test is so easy, the driving test not so much. But anyways, confession time, I failed my driving test three times. I had attitude problems back then, and they picked up on that. But anyways, but I aced the written one because I studied this little booklet. And I'll still remember one picture from the booklet that if you drive faster, your field of visions narrows. The faster you drive, the more narrow your field of vision. Who here has got a motorcycle? You got a motorcycle? Who here likes to ride a bike? Who thinks you see more on a motorcycle or a bike than you do when you're in a car? Who thinks you see even more when you're walking? You walk through a neighborhood? John, you do that um, every day. I mean, you deliver mail. And delivering mail, you see a lot more than driving through the neighborhood. Because you go slowly, slowly through the neighborhood. The faster we go, the less we see. I'm going to give you a warning, a blinking yellow light right now. This is the Christmas season. The whole culture tells you to speed up. Warning light, if you do, you will miss Christmas. Because your field of vision will narrow. Dana Hansen, who's preaching along with us. And I don't preach as well as Dana Hansen. Dana, I, his last sermon on rule number 11, whoo, man, you have to listen. BrainandBible.com, go to rule 11, the skateboarding one. Unbelievable preacher. And Dana was the main student, or one of the students, he was an an apprentice for a guy named Dallas Willard. Dallas Willard is arguably the smartest Christian who's ever lived in Southern California. So smart that I can't read his books. You've read his books, I think. You're a little brighter bulb than I do, but I I can't quite get... I've tried, because I know it's good for me, so I try to read like four pages into it, and it's like axles in the mud. I just can't go any farther, because he's so smart. But Dallas Willard was asked to sum up his teaching. And he said this before he died. Ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life or you will miss God. If you're barreling through life, you'll miss the flowers, petting the cat, noticing those things you need to notice. Your field of vision will narrow. Slow the heck down this Christmas. Take your time. Tim was just talking about all the things he has to do in the morning, chores, which he's got to do at some point. We've got to do those things. He says he doesn't want to shortchange the Lord with a really quick devotional time. Taking your time with God. Taking your time with people. Slowing down. We got uh, Wendy was going to take me out for my birthday on Friday. And we had some really eccentric people ask us over for dinner instead. And when you have a little trailer court in the desert, there's re- the entertainment value is high. Very high. And we went over there, and there was three, Wendy and me, and three people from the trailer court. And we had to take it back about three notches, because we're still on Huntington speed. And we slowed it down. We were there all evening, and it was fascinating and delicious. And it was served an hour and a half late. 
because she was going around the kitchen, you know, doing her thing and kind of lost. And it, but it was a beautiful evening because we paid attention to each other. We slowed down. And it wasn't just a big deal. It wasn't just boom, boom, boom. So Ecclesiastes 8.6. We're going to go into the deep well here. Here's the problem with this verse. It's beautiful, but none of the English translations get it right. Here's why. Nowadays, you can go on Bible.com and you can get like 30 English translations for any verse right in a row. And for almost every verse, they are what I call convergent. They may not say the same thing, but they point at the same thing. For this verse, you could look at all of them and they're all divergent. They all go in different directions. When the translations are divergent, that tells you that they're missing something. And it's fascinating. I mean, they all say different things. And here's why. They're trying to squeeze Hebrew into English, and it doesn't work. I want you to picture railroad tracks. Two iron rails. That is the essence of Hebrew poetry. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, and his mercy endures forever. Go through the whole Psalms, and you can, you can read them antiphonally. Book of Proverbs has a lot of that in it, too. They don't rhyme in Hebrew. They do parallels. That's how they do their poetry. In English, this is going to freak you out a little bit, but just go with me. You don't have to know this. Just listen. In English, we have main clauses and subordinate or dependent clauses. We always relate the clauses to each other. We give one primary status and the other one dependent status. Because it's raining outside, carry an umbrella. Carry an umbrella is a complete sentence, so that's the main clause. Because it's raining outside is not a complete sentence, so that's the dependent clause. The problem with all the translations is they've taken a parallel and have tried to turn it into a primary and dependent clause. It doesn't work. We have two separate things here that are in contrast to each other, and they don't depend on each other, like two sidewalks on Main Street. And they keep trying to shove it in English into an English grammatical form. And it doesn't work. And here's the two, here's the two rails. On one side, if you look at the screen, and on the other side is the second one, but they both start with the word key, K-I. And key says, here comes something, like thus or so, or here comes something. And they're equal. These are equal phrases. They're meant to be said next to each other. The first one is for key to every joy. And the word is joy, not matter, but joy. That has to do with another mistranslation from grander years before Christ. I'm not trying to confuse anybody here. I just want to show you how powerful this verse is when you look at it the way it's supposed to be looked at. For every joy, there really, there's a word there, say, pay attention, really, 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 yeesh is that word. Look at this. For every joy, look at this, there is timing and discernment and intentionality. You have to pay attention. You have to notice. Remember my word, notice? Or you miss it. It happens in a moment, and you have to have discernment and judgment and be able to pick it up. Or you'll miss it if you're going too fast. The second phrase, key, for the misery of man or mankind, Adam, is great upon him. Because the challenges are great upon us, also 
those joys are coming and you need discernment to see them. Who thinks you can get really busy and miss all the joys and have all the burden? Keep all the burden and miss the joys. Who thinks that's a lot of what goes on in California? People are so busy here. We look relaxed because we wear flip-flops, but we are busy. And we never get everything done. And the busier we get, the more we miss the little joys. You've got to have discernment and noticing to pick up on these things. And so you have these two train tracks in your life. One of them is the troubles you're facing, and you will always be facing them. Nobody gets out of here alive. We struggle with these things. And you might think, well, if I just got promoted to a higher job, things would be easier. Ask Woody what it's like to run a company. I mean, this is all he does is solve problems. He just sits there and they throw problems at you, and you, in this world, there will be problems. That's how it works. And you end up facing those things, and that's one track. And the other track is when you're doing that, slow down or you're going to miss the flowers. You're not. You're going to be too busy to sit down, kneel down, and pet the cat that comes by. God is sending you Jesus moments all day long. They're like little Easter eggs. I don't play video games, not because I'm some kind of prude, but because we have an outdoors here. I don't know why people play video games. I played video games in Minnesota because it's horrible outside. I moved here. I haven't done it since. But in video games, really nerdy video games, they put Easter eggs in them. And you can find these little things if you really get into the game, and boom, you find this little Easter egg. I guess that's what they tell me. But unless you slow down, you miss the Easter eggs. You miss the joy. You miss the Jesus moments. You can take communion real quick and not pay attention to Jesus showing up. You can sit here and be thinking about the 16 things you got to do this afternoon and miss what Jessica and the team are trying to do up here to lead you into the presence of God. And did you notice she was doing it kind of slowly today? Mostly because of Kim. I really appreciate Kim's vision for worship. It's very human-sized. We're not putting on a big show up here. No lasers, no smoke, no that stuff. And you can get that in other churches. I'll give you the names if that's what you're looking for. But a human-sized thing, and Jen, you do the same things. Sometimes you guys just slow down. And it's often not in the big hand-clapping loud stuff, but it's often in the still small voice of the worship when it slows down. You guys know about that when you lead worship. When you slow down, sometimes we can pay attention to the Lord showing up. And Jessica did that several times today. She wasn't in a hurry to get these things done. So, antidote to suffering. According to this book, psychologically speaking, the key is not thinking through your problems. It's just facing them and working on it and not overthinking. Who here overthinks? Not about thinking, it's about noticing. How can we notice where God is being good today? How can we notice Jesus showing up in our day? Because God gives us enough of his presence to get through the day. My grace is sufficient for you. But if we're going so fast we don't pick up the grace moments, we're going to miss those things. It's about, let's say this out loud, one, two, three, noticing, not thinking. I'm not saying don't think. I'm saying noticing these things, not thinking about God, is what's going to get us there. God's everywhere, but it's much more likely to be found in a praise set than in a library. It's not about just thinking too much. 
Second one, these are some practicalities for noticing. Don't let your problems form your emotional wallpaper. The best Christian psychoanalytical people say, budget an hour, an hour and a half to do your dealing with the dark stuff in life. Don't let it take over your whole day, because it will. It will take up your whole day if you let it. So budget that time. Give it its due. Give your problems their time and work on them. But say, you know, after that hour and a half, I'm going to go look for a flower. I'm going to pet a cat. I'm going to do something different. Wendy often puts her day together in schedules with all these scheduled breaks so that she can return to a normal pace of life and not get all carried away. Don't let it form your 24-7 wallpaper. Don't let your problems define you. Don't let your issues become the main music in your background. Don't ignore them. Spend some time focusing on them, but then say, that's it. The rest of the, I'm going to grieve for this hour and a half and because something big happened to you, but the rest of the day, I'm going to move on and do some stuff. And I'll grieve tomorrow again if I need to. But I need to put that in perspective. Number three, being flows out of limitation. Limitation causes suffering. For God to create the world, he had to create limitation in space and time. And your life is limited. There's a certain lifespan you have. You have physical limitations. We have mental limitations. And limitations are what cause our suffering. When you run up against something you don't have the physical or human capacity to handle. That's how prayer starts. We start praying at that point because we, I was praying for Karen because there's nothing I could do from here to get your medicine to find you. So I was praying because we run up against a limitation of geography. Limitation causes suffering. There's no way to get out of that in this life. You are limited and so am I. God is not. So we need to focus on the Lord's solutions and ask for his power to make things right. Number four. No matter how bad things get in life, presume the basic goodness of God and creation. That's a presumption we make. We often say here at the well, God is good all the time. Nevertheless, no matter what I'm going through, I am not going to give up on the idea that God is good. It is a choice we make in the worst of times. When we're sitting in the smoking crater ashtray of life, that's what we decide. We're not going to cross that line and say God's out to get me. Or creation is fundamentally evil. After each day of creation, God said this. He saw it, and it was very good. Tov, very good. and Very good, and we have to continue to assume that. But this takes an act of courage. It takes an act of courage every day to choose. I may be facing red ink. I may be facing physical limitations. I might be facing vocational being lost. I, I might be facing loneliness. Nevertheless, I will choose to believe that God is good, wants good for me, as you wrote to your friend, has good plans for me, a hope and a future. And it takes great courage on some, some days that's easy to say. Some days it's harder. 
But you guys are a courageous bunch because the cool thing about a small church is I know which of those four things you're going through. And I see you show up in church and choose courage over those things. And that's what faith is. Faith is a choice. It's a chosen lifestyle. So, pet a cat when you see one on the street. Take the time to smell the roses. Pay attention to those little Easter eggs Jesus is giving you all the time. I want to share an illustration from the highest rated Disney movie of all time, which is Pinocchio. By far the most acclaimed by all the critics and everything else. 1940. 1940, Pinocchio. And it's won more awards than any of the Disney movies because of the story. And what's really interesting is Geppetto, much like Susanna and Mark, wanted a boy. But he was a what? A puppet maker. And he wanted this. And who shows up in the story but Jiminy Cricket. What are his initials? He's a Christ figure. And he provides the conscience for Pinocchio all the way through the whole thing. And he tells Geppetto to do what? Wish upon a? Align yourself with heaven. You're in a limited situation. Geppetto, you're limited. In this situation, you can't have a kid. But if you align yourself with the promises of heaven, and this is Jiminy Cricket, J.C., saying this, is that any different than what Jesus taught us? Align yourself with the promises of heaven, and all kinds of things happen. And once you align yourself with the promises of God, and you act in accordance with those promises, believing them to come true, not, well, I believe that, but I'm going to act like it's not going to happen. Now, John, you've been through some nasty stuff. You aligned yourself with the promises of heaven, and you had to choose to live in accordance with these things happening. Did that take courage or what? A lot of courage. To not just wish upon a star, but to act accordingly. Act in accordance with those promises. Act as if they're going to come true. Does that take courage? Do you have any proof it's going to? No. It takes faith. It takes faith to do this. Align with, hap- with heaven and act properly and in accordance with his promises. Why do you think this was so well rated? It's The story is a restatement of the gospel. No wonder everybody streamed to go see it. C.S. Lewis once said, there's only one story. It's just told lots of different ways. E.T. is a whole other one. That's just the New Testament all over again for little kids. So Everett and Poppy. Noticing. Poppy noticed the Easter egg there. The Easter egg happened to be named Everett. And look at him smile. He's fighting for his life. But he takes the time to smile at a kid. That's petting a cat when you see one on the street. That's noticing the Jesus moment. Here's a person who gets it spiritually. And these people are aligned with heaven. I'm going to close with this. You know what it means when when a preacher says that. Absolutely nothing. But this is true this time. Wendy and I were hiking on this hike, and we were, I was getting really tired because 
I carry too much in my backpack. Every trip I take, I take, I pack too much. We're like the opposite of most couples. She takes a little thing, I take this. So a little hike, I've got this massive backpack that weighs as much as Wendy, you know, I'm just going along. And I'm getting really tired, my back hurts and the whole thing. And it's raining. You know that windy rain that sort of slaps against you and you're out in the middle of nowhere and you're thinking, you know, we're going to die of hypothermia, what's going to happen to us? And Wendy's trying to be cheerful, I'm going, it's my birthday, I should smile. And we're, we're, we're doing this stuff. And I got a prompting, we're trying to get back to the car in the rain. I got a prompting, turn around. And I turned around and that's what we saw. Massive rainbow. The picture doesn't do it justice. But it took over the sky. It really did. It took over the sky. Would it, would it have been easy to miss this? If I'd hurried up to get to the car, if I'd gone faster, if I hadn't stopped and turned around, wouldn't it, it was the highlight of the whole hike. We turned around. I couldn't breathe for a second. <gasps> Look at this. I wish the picture showed what that looked like. It was just all the way across the sky. I'm Scandinavian, and my Scandinavian ancestors called rainbows Bifrist, which meant the bridge from here to heaven. That's a Jesus moment. These are Jesus moments when we have the bridge from heaven to earth where Jesus, true God and true man, comes into the form of a kitten or a flower or whatever it is you run across. Music? Who hasn't been touched by Jesus during music? Uh, no, I hurried up and looked, but uh, it, t- it moved on me somehow. It just... So what I'd like us to do, this is part of, we want to process these thoughts and get your wisdom. Now, if you're saying, i got to be in a hurry, i got to take off, slow down. Because someone you're talking to might know something you don't. Wasn't that one of the rules? Here's the discussion questions. Circle up your, your chairs. What's your favorite thing to notice that reminds you of the goodness of creation, even when times are personally hard? What promises in the Bible have you gotten through big storms, have gotten you through big storms in life? Why do you think it takes courage to choose to see creation as basically good? Do you have a time when you needed the courage to do so? How can taking communion Taking communion be a star on which to set your course on a weekly basis. Taking the bread and the cup. So go ahead and get in, get in groups and uh, go ahead and risk and trust with each other and listen for each other's wisdom. Take your time with each other because uh, that's where the Easter eggs are.